What would you say is the most powerful force in all the universe? Now, if you have gone through our membership process recently, you probably know where I'm going with this, but I want you to think about it. What do you think is the most powerful force in all the universe? Well, at this point, we know it's not the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Too soon? move on uh, maybe if not the Dallas Cowboys it's uh, the most powerful force in all the universe is a West Texas tornado or you might think the most powerful force in all the universe is a heavily armed Texas militia but if we will listen to God's thoughts on the matter We will hear him say what he believes is the most powerful force in all the universe is his word. It's this book, the Bible, which we've already heard in the service, has the power to get inside of people and to change them. And to give them a new life that no one could destroy. That is how powerful the word of God is. Psalm 119, which is all about God's word. I've described this before as God sitting his children down and teaching them the ABCs of his word. As he goes to the Hebrew alphabet in the first stanza of the song and then the second stanza. And then we get to verses 33 through 40 and now we get to the letter H. He's teaching us the basics of what it means to think rightly and relate rightly to his word. We're going to hear in verses 33 through 40 a very basic lesson that God wants you to take home. About your relationship with the Bible. And if you're able, I want you to stand as we read this portion of the most powerful force in all the universe. Psalm 119, <clears throat> starting in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life. In your ways, confirm to your servant your promise 
that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 119 reads differently than other psalms. It reads to me almost like Proverbs where it seems like, yeah, we're staying in one topic of God's word. All these words like your ways, your precepts, your commands, your testimonies, all about God's word. But it seems like they're all disconnected from one another. But I don't think that that's actually the case. I think there's a theme that arises to the top of these few verses together. And if if you'll allow me to put it this way, H in the Hebrew alphabet, when it comes to God's word, H is for humility. This passage is all about the humility that is needed when it comes to, when we come to, the most powerful force in all the universe. Let me tell you where I'm going in just a sentence. The main point of these eight verses is to get God's word, we got to be humble. That's what I believe this is going to unpack for us as we walk through the eight verses again. It will teach us this one truth to get God's word, to get the benefits of the most powerful force for good in all the universe. There is something you need, and that is humility. Or you could think of it from a different angle. The most dangerous force. The most dangerous force in all the universe is your pride. Your pride will keep you from life. Because your pride will keep you from listening to God's word. Listen, no one gets God's word who is full of himself. And what we're going to see is three aspects of our need to resist our pride or you could say to pursue humility when it comes to God's word. First of all, we'll see in verses 33 through 35, we need help with God's word. Point number one, we see in these verses that what we need is help with God's word. We need humility. Some of y'all, I'm convinced if, if we were to do kind of a redeemer's version of one of those spiritual gift tests, which I don't think much about these tests that exist now. But if I had one to give you, I think what we would come up with is you guys, some of you are really gifted at the spiritual gift of gifts. Gifts? You know, gifts on the old telly? Those little pictures that you send? I'm really concerned about your grammar. And your lack of ability to put sentences together because some of you just communicate through images 
And yet, I'm really impressed with how fitting the pictures are, how much they really do communicate whenever you send these gifts. I approach things differently than you. I typically type in a phrase, if I'm going to use a gift to communicate my thoughts, I type in the phrase that that gift is supposed to represent. And, 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 then, and then what I do is when all those pictures go up, I scroll down. And I try to find the most obscure picture I can possibly find. And then I send that one. I think it's funny. <laughs> I just like to imagine you sitting there with furrowed brow wondering what in the world. Like when you get my text message, you don't get it at all. Amen. <laughs> That's my spiritual gift. Is the confounding gift. Well, the Bible is a real stumper. What I mean is just being able to read it is no guarantee you're going to get it. Now, the difference between God's word and my gifts is God is not trying to stump you. It's just that you and I are so far from his language. So far from the truth. Our sin obscures clear points in these passages. I'm seeking your humility when I tell you the truth. That our hardness of heart will hide God. From you in his word. Uh, we're, We're also told it's not just what's inside us that. Makes us need help. Whenever it comes to the Bible. The devil himself. Is at work. To blind our minds. Even for believers, he's there. He's here, it says in God's word, right now, seeking to steal the sermon before it gets from my mouth to your ears. The psalmist says that we need the humility to ask for help. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way. Of your statutes. And I will keep it. To the end. Beloved let me encourage you. Every single time. That you open your Bible. Or you come to church. To hear a sermon. Or you turn on a podcast. Where people are talking about the Bible. Recognize what's happening. And pray. Because if you're going to get God's word, you got to have the humility to ask for a teacher. You've got teachers or you've, you've had them from time to time, I'm sure. I remember growing up in school and, and having teachers and, and that, that rare thrilling day whenever a substitute teacher would walk in. I don't know if you can relate to this. 
would just take a look at this guy, and I would say, man, this guy's soft. <laughs> I bet. I bet. How much you want to bet? I can get this guy to play a movie for us in seven minutes. Time me. I just loved it. Um, kids, don't try this at home. My kids, <laughs> don't try this at home. I'll tell you, if, if Bill Watterson were the guy who walked into the class to be my substitute teacher, I would never have tried to fool him into making us watch a movie. Because Bill Watterson is the author of Calvin and Hobbes. And Calvin and Hobbes, if you don't know what it is, well, it's basically the only thing that I would willingly read when I was young. It's a comic book. And if he came into the room, I wouldn't want him to play some silly movie. I would want to hear all about his genius and where things are going for Calvin and his little stuffed tiger. Well, verse 33 tells us that the author of the Bible is the very one who we are to look to as our teacher. I wonder if you have the humility to accept not only are you not okay and you're not going to get God's word and you're not going to get all the good that he offers just by sitting alone with your Bible. That you need teachers. God says you need teachers. Are you humble enough to say you need preachers of the Bible and teachers of the Bible? And will you be humble enough to say I need more than a man? That I need God himself. I need the one who wrote this thing. Or else I'm not going to understand what he wrote. God's word ain't no comic book. Comic books have amusements. God's word has authority. It has authority. It reads you. It knows you. And you need it. If you're going to live. When we get God's word. You need to understand what he's saying in verse 33. You need to know that you are meant to keep it. To keep it. This is what it says in the New Testament in James. Be doers of the word. Not hearers only. Yes, you need to hear God's word. But you can't just hear God's word. If you're going to live, you have to be doers of the word or else you're deceiving yourself for anyone. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, if you listen to sermons and then go on about your life, if you read through your Bible in the year and then it doesn't do anything or you don't do anything that it says, then you are just like a man who looks in a mirror. You look at yourself and then go away and forget what you were like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres and continues in it and determines his life by it, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he's the one who's going to be blessed by the word. It has to be kept. I love that story of what happened when Johnny Wells heard that he was going on hospice. I'm told that what he said was, can I still go to church? 91 years old. This book of life 
is meant to be kept till the end of life. Till the very end. And Linda, if I can just say this. When I say these words, when I read verse 33, I think of you. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may keep it to the end of my life. You are a model to us of this faithfulness by God's grace. If you are a Christian as well, then there is something that is also true of you. And that is you love God's law. You trust God's commands. And you want, now verse 34, to keep it, not just to the end of your life, but with your whole heart. Now, what is automatic is not this. What is automatic in your heart and mine and in everyone who's ever lived is not this. What's automatic for us is settling for the absolute minimum. Not, not whole heart keeping of the word. Not whole heart knowing God and following God, but the absolute minimum. And that is easy if you're a parent to spot this kind of behavior in your children when it comes to their chores. This idea that they rarely, it seems, choose to do their work with their whole heart. But, friend, it's true of you and it's true of me as well. It's true for every child of God with anything that our Father in Heaven asks of us Naturally, let me think about the command, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And how many days do I struggle to look back and see if I prayed at all? Or cut off the right hand that causes you to sin. It's like there can be whole seasons of my life, I wonder if you can relate to this, where it's like you wake up and realize that basically you've been just working out your grip strength on this sin that you have cherished. And you've not been trying to put a, put aside forever what displeases God and what will destroy you. If you want all your heart to keep all of God's word, you've got to be humble and like the psalmist in verse 34, you've got to ask for it. But if you delight in God's word, you will. That's what he says in, 30, in verse 35. He delights in God's word. If you're among the few chosen and favored people in all the world, who, when God's word is preached, you don't cringe. You don't look for fault. You don't take offense. And instead, you say, that is the way of life. That's the way I want to live. I want to live as if God comes first. And I want to honor him even when he is saying no to me. 
and withholding from me the things I desperately want. And I want to obey him the way his word tells me to obey him, even when it's hard on me. And what you need, if that's true of you, be encouraged. But know this, you need help with God's word. You've got to be humble. You've got to ask him. What he asked in verse 35, lead me in this path. I hear your commandments and I want to walk on this path. I want to live this way, but I need you to lead me in this path. That I might live. To get God's word. We've got to be humble. By first. Recognizing. That when it comes to God's word. We are spiritually ignorant. And therefore we need the Lord's help. But then second. We need the humility to recognize that we are morally compromised. And we need the Lord to work on our hearts. So point number two, verses 36 and 37 call us to have a heart for God's word. To humbly ask for a heart for God's word. One of the obstacles to getting God's word and all the blessings that this Bible offers us, one of the obstacles is the inclination of our hearts. Over the years, I've learned what happens whenever... I run my car into a curb. You know, maybe I was playing with my phone the way my wife told me over and over to stop doing. Or I was trying to find a Michael Jackson hit on the radio. And then you run that car right into the curb. You know what's going to happen? Your alignment is going to be out of whack. And, and what will then happen is if you don't apply constant resistance to your steering wheel, you'll veer off into a ditch. Well, every human heart has hit lots of curbs. The natural direction of our hearts, our hearts that Johnny Ansel told us the other day, is the control center of our thoughts, the control center of our choices, the control center of our actions, the commander of our whole life, our hearts, have a natural direction, and that is away. It's away. Away from God. And away from His testimonies. You have the humility to believe that's true of you. The psalmist does. And so he says in verse 36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And he says in verse 37, turn my eyes from 
looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 36, the psalmist says that our hearts veer specifically toward unjust gain. I wonder if you've seen this in your own life. That if you do not resist constantly, your heart, it will steer you away from thankfulness. Away from humility. Your heart naturally will pull you away from contentment. And it will drive us toward greed. For what God has not given to you. And it will naturally, you don't have to do anything. You just let it go. And it will drive you toward coveting what he's given others. Your hearts have an inclination. And mine does too. Toward unjust gain. To getting from me what is not right because God's not given it to me. The psalmist is calling for humility to plead with the Lord to jerk the wheel of our hearts away from sinful dissatisfaction. Lord, steer my heart. You've got to turn it. You've got to reach in. And you've got to turn me away from living for me. Or else I'll just do it. You've got to turn me toward Your testimonies, the testimonies of you, who you are and what you've done and what you've said and what what how I should live. I I need you to turn my heart toward the word where I will learn how generous you've been with me. How faithful you always are with me. How you provide. I don't need to take. Turn my heart to your testimony of how if I don't have it, it's because I don't need it. Turn my heart away from what it is fixed upon and teach me again how what I don't have will not complete me if I do get it. In verse 37, he goes on and he he says this moral compromise that's inside of all of us that is an obstacle to us getting God's word. This moral compromise is not just about the inclination of our hearts, it's also about the desire of our eyes. Verse 37, turn my eyes. You've got to turn them. They're already pointed somewhere. At worthless things. Charles Spurgeon said, sin first entered man's mind by the eye. You remember when Eve was looking at the forbidden fruit. And Spurgeon said, the eye is still a favorite gateway for the incoming of Satan's allurements. What are you looking at? 
What are you looking at? Just pay attention to what you naturally will look at. The psalmist is humbly acknowledging that he is not only bent toward taking what is not his, an unjust gain, but also longing for what will not help him. Worthless things. Worthless things. In the Bible, worthless things are things in this world that the whole world would give anything to have, and yet from God's perspective, it's things in this world that cannot help us. Cannot fill us. Worthless things is a, is a word for idols. Things that are not ultimate, but that we treat like they are ultimate. So the psalmist says, Lord, give me a heart for your word. That I might look at you, take my eyes from focusing on people or a person instead of the Lord. Because we want that person, we're convinced that person can make us feel what we feel like we need to feel. Take my heart and my eyes away from focusing upon a purchase. Instead of you, because I think that purchase will provide what I'm really lacking. Lord, give me a heart for your word and so that my eyes are turned away from this experience that I focus on instead of your word, instead of you, because I think that experience is going to get me out of this funk. The psalmist prays. Give me life in your ways or in your word. If you're going to do it, you've got to incline my heart differently. And you've got to turn my eyes away from what I focus on. Jay Adams once said, everyone has something in his heart that is so full of wrong things. The good news is, God's Word can fix our alignment. good news is, God's Word, if we will just look at it, with His help, we will see the one who can fix our alignment. There, there is actually one person who never had to sing, could not relate, to verses 36 and 37 who was not morally compromised in any way. The Son of God, who took on flesh and had a world full of worthless things in front of Him, but a heart that was not at all inclined toward them. The Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a full life and faced all our temptations, never could have sung those two verses. And yet, these two verses are singing of Him. They sing deeply of Him. Because these verses would lead us down a path where we would recognize, what I need is a new heart. Who can give it to me? These verses 
would, taken seriously, lead us to the conclusion, I need to be turned from worthless things because I can't do it. Who can? And the Bible reveals to us, this is the main purpose of it, is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to us as the one who can fix all of the real problems that we have. And we heard about him earlier in First Peter chapter 1. This is what it said just a couple of verses earlier. If you call on God as Father who, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Listen, then you should live your life with fear of him throughout your entire life. Knowing if you're a Christian, he ransomed you from worthless things, from futile ways that you inherited from this world, from your parents, from your family, from your forefathers. And he ransomed you not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus Christ was foreknown before the foundation of this world, before any of this was made and before anyone fell away from God. Jesus Christ was planned that the son of God would come and what he would do is ransom us, that is, pay the payment by His blood to rescue us out of these worthless things that take us away from God. And this is what He did on the cross. When He died on the cross and shed His blood, He was dying to pay the cost that you owe God for all the things that your heart has turned toward instead of Him, for all the things you're tempted to focus on instead of Him. Jesus Christ died. And God raised him from the dead to save sinners. Do you have the humility to see that your heart is off? That really what is, what is wrong with your life is not the hard things in your life. What's wrong with your life is you and your heart and how it's turned away from God. Do you... See how your whole heart is, is inclined away from life and away from the God who made you. And it's not just that you've made some wrong choices in your life. Your whole heart is away from him. Do you have the humility to see that you need someone else to save you? If you have humility... By God's grace, that he is leading you to recognize how wretched you are before his eyes, how undeserving you are of life with him and how unable you are to do anything to change. Do you have the humility to recognize that what you need is to totally rely on the Savior God provided. He offers you salvation right now. He offers you forgiveness, a new heart, 
and a new life right now if you will turn by faith to him and turn from living for yourself. Would you do it? This room is full of people who would love to talk to you about it. I would love to talk to you about it if you want to talk about it after this service. I'll be right back there. But this is the main thing that Psalm 119 is calling us toward. It's a Savior. And He has come. Humility. Humility. And recognizing even what we've recognized in verses 36 and 37, you may think would lead you to a kind of self-hatred, but actually it can lead you to hope. So point number three, point number three, verses 38 through 40, is hope from God's Word. Verse 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. The psalmist believes that we can get, the humble can get hope from God's word. First of all, in verse 38, in God's word's ability to give us this thing that we need, which is the fear of God. And that is the posture of hearts that treats God as if He alone is supreme. You've got to be humble to believe that. You've got to be humble to recognize that what you need is someone who is all-powerful if He's going to overcome all your inclinations to sin. You need to fear God. You need to fear the one who you need. You need, and I need someone who's all good. Otherwise, how could he keep his promises? That if you just pay attention, they, they sound too good to be true. But he is that good. You, you need... Someone who is unchanging. Where are you going to find them? Someone who's unchanging. Who will not change his mind. In his commitment to show mercy to sinners. Lately I've been learning. I learn basic things guys. You know this. About I'll just go right into it. Okay. I don't have to explain this. But I've been learning how to start a fire in a fireplace. And how to keep that fire going. And... You know, what you need, and you know, I know you know, but I'm learning. Um, what you need is oxygen for the fire to not only start, but to keep going. Well, listen, God's Word is the oxygen that will fan and deflame your fear of God. You have to have God's Word, or else you won't fear Him. So if you're someone who grieves... The thought of offending God. If you're someone who longs to keep peace with Him. If you're someone who hates anything that would get in between you and God. I want you to know that is a good sign for you spiritually. That 
You fear God and you should be encouraged that he's going to accept you in Christ. You can be encouraged if what you fear is God. That you are getting out of God's word what you should get. Because that's what it says in verse 38. If you get God's word, what will happen is fear of him. So Spurgeon said it this way. Make, he changed verse 38 to say, make your word sure to me and make me sure of it. Confirm your promises. Establish your promises. Make it sure to me and make me sure of it. So I'll keep going to it that I might fear you. But there's a second thing that the psalmist looks humbly for hope from God's word because of this physical opposition that he's facing. He looks for hope because of physical opposition that he's facing. Verse 39 says, turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Everyone who lives like God's rules are good, like his decisions for how we should live and what we're supposed to do is right. Everyone in that category is going to experience rejection and reproach. You will experience hatred from people. You will experience ridicule from those who do not want to live for God. Who only want to live for themselves. You will experience the rejection of those who are offended by a God who says he's right. And everyone who disagrees with him is wrong. So listen, children, know this about Christianity. Part of being a Christian means believing God's ways are all good. God's word is all good. And wherever you disagree with God's word, you are wrong. In obedience to this word, listen, children. It will lead to people not liking you. And you need to decide whether you're okay with that. Why should you get humble in order to get God's word? And that's not just a question for children. It's the question for every parent here and every adult here, every person alive. Why should you get humble? In order to get God's word. Because it is not an option for you to be accepted by everyone. It won't happen. You're going to be rejected. And it will either be by sinful fools. Or it will be by a holy God. And you have to decide which one you prefer. But not only that. This is why you should get humble to get God's word. Verse 40 says that getting God's word is the only way to get life. 
life. If you have God's word, you can be rejected now and have life. Right now with him. Right now you can get wisdom from God to live in this world that is so hateful. Right now, if you will go to God's word, you will have the life of peace with him. You will have the life of forgiveness from him for all of your sins. Because he doesn't count it against us because he put it all on his son. If you go to God's word, you can have life forever. There's hope from God's word, even for those who are opposed in this life. C.S. Lewis said this, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step to getting humble is to realize you are proud. That's a big step. Nothing, whatever, can be done before you take that step. If you think you are not conceited, you are very conceited. Conceit, focusing on you. Pride, putting you first. The most natural two things in all the world. And they are two things that will keep you from God's word. And that means it'll keep you from the only thing that can make you alive. To get God's word, we've got to be humble. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you've told us how to relate to your word. And we pray for the grace to first recognize We are conceited. We focus on ourselves. We are proud. We put ourselves first. And then give us grace to pursue humility away from that. That we might come to you for help. Come to you for a new heart. And come to you for hope. We might find it all in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.